Wyndham Hotels and Resorts makes travel possible for all. Whether it's the long haulers looking for a great cup of coffee, a roomier rest for the on-a-wim road trippers, or a place to make summer memories with the whole family. No matter who you are, where you're going, or why, with 24 trusted brands to choose from like La Quinta, Days Inn, and Super 8, your Wyndham is waiting. Get the lowest price at WyndhamHotels.com. Restrictions apply. Visit website for more details. Elizabeth Holmes. On this episode of Law Junkie Show, how much will the jury learn about Holmes' wealth and how she managed the finances of Theranos? And how is the defense looking in day one? But first, Ethan, you had such a strong reaction when you saw the exhibit list and you were scrolling sort of enthusiastically and commenting about this list. What's so significant about it? Why the strong reaction? My reaction is I don't know that I've seen an exhibit list quite this lengthy. And I guess it would explain why this is scheduled to be a 13-week-long trial. That is exceptionally unusual to have a a 13-week trial is amazing. Normally, trials are three, four, five, maybe seven days. And this is 13 weeks. Thousands. I, I mean, I, I haven't even scrolled, finished scrolling to the bottom of the prosecutor's exhibit list, but they have a massive amount of documents, a treasure trove, a what they hope to be a damning amount of evidence to convince this jury of, I believe it's five women and seven men, along with five alternate jurors, that Elizabeth Holmes intended to defraud investors, etc. Over 4,000, maybe it's close to 5,000 exhibits. That's just unusual. It's usually in the hundreds at the most. Thousands is very rare. Multiple thousands is exceptionally rare. As you were scrolling, did anything jump out at you? No, not one document actually jumped out, but there are so many emails, letters, notes, etc. that are all referring back to what happened. So this is supporting evidence that is used to facilitate their argument. They're not going to include in their trial exhibit list things that are positive for the defense. Prosecutors are going to include items of information that lay the foundation and present the argument to support the assertion that Elizabeth Holmes committed these crimes that she's alleged. And the defense, of course, will submit their own list, which is not intended to benefit the prosecution, but intended to benefit the defendant. One really important point to note, exhibits are not surprises. These are documents that have been shared between the parties before this stage of litigation. And so the defense knows what is coming and they're prepared for it, just like the prosecution knows what the defense is going to say, and they're prepared for that. Why no audio or video in this trial? Why don't we get to see what's going on or hear it? Well, it is a an exception when audio and video is allowed in the courtroom. It is not the general rule. And most judges are against audio and video in the courtroom. They don't want prosecutors, defendants, 
defense attorneys, jurors, they don't want the people participating in the trial to be distracted by cameras that are in the court. The judge wants the jury focused on the attorneys and anybody, any witnesses who are testifying. They want the jury, he wants, he, in this case, wants the jury focused on him. He doesn't want them thinking about a camera. He doesn't want an attorney distracted. So, however, there is a strong argument that many make that the public has a right to view it. And so that is why there are certain cases where judges will say, look, the public interest is so great that I'm going to allow cameras and audio in my courtroom. But it is it is generally not the case. Was this judge asked if there could be cameras and audio and he said no? I'm not aware of that request being made. One of the solid pieces of evidence are the text messages between Elizabeth Holmes and Sonny Balwani, whom she is accusing of abuse. And they have six pages of text messages between the two. Their relationship spanned over a number of years, so pretty safe to assume this is not a comprehensive list of their text messages. They've just got certain text messages claiming abuse. And then there are text messages like you are a breeze in the desert or something like that. But we also know that no relationship is one dimensional and things like that could be said at one moment and turn abusive the next. How much context do they have to provide along with these text messages? I can't just present a text message out of the blue. The way it works is I have to lay a foundation of building up to whatever that text message says. So I'm, I'm asking witnesses questions. It's in context of something else that I am arguing or asking of a witness. I, it's not presented in a vacuum. So I'm asking witnesses about things that have transpired. I'm leading up. I've had to build a foundation. And you may have seen this in a TV show. Foundation means things like, what is your name? Can you spell it for me? Where do you live? Did you ever work for a company called Theranos? Yes, you. oh, you did. When did you work for Theranos? What was the position you held at Theranos? Who did you report to at Theranos? This take, that's why trials are going to take 13 weeks here because you have to build up to everything. And then that text message will be presented in context of some other questions to say, if Elizabeth Holmes is, is testifying, for example, so the prosecution would ask, do you remember sending this message to Mr. Balwani where you're telling him to tell what the investors uh, is, is going on? And the defense would bring up a text message, but it, the text message itself, they don't have to read the thread of text messages. They can just single out that individual message. Now, in my response, if I'm the witness testifying and the prosecution, let's say I'm Elizabeth Holmes for a second, and the prosecution says, what about this text message that you sent Mr. Balwani you know, where you told him to say this to the investors, as if I'm Elizabeth Holmes answering that question, I can answer saying, well, that's part of a long chain where he was suggesting other things to me too. And that was merely my response. That is how that will play out in terms of presenting the text message as evidence in front of the jury. And that might be why there's only six pages worth because they don't have to present all of the other ones. They're picking out the ones that make whatever their point is in the context.
The defense continues to work really hard to try to keep the wealth of Elizabeth Holmes out of the picture and how she spent money as the CEO of Theranos. Do we show the same concern for defendants who are, say, members of organized crime or bank robbers or any other defendants accused of crimes related to financial matters? It seems relevant, the way that money is spent. But this defense wants you to believe that's not relevant. Is it relevant? It might be. It might be relevant if it can speak to the state of mind of Elizabeth Holmes and why she was defrauding investors, for example, as the allegations state. So if her state of mind is, I have such a lavish lifestyle that I must continue lying to continue getting the money to come in, come in that would be like in a Ponzi scheme. So I might argue that their wealth is relevant to the judge to present that as evidence that it's, it is relevant in a Ponzi scheme, because I have to continue getting other investors. So I have to continue the fraud in a Ponzi scheme. Whereas here, I believe the argument is, look, she did make a lot of money. She was one of the most successful CEOs in Silicon Valley. So her spending some money on something, a couple of thousand bucks on jewelry, how is that relevant to what you're claiming, Mr. Prosecutor, which is, she didn't have a device that worked. She knew it didn't work. And she continued lying to investors about the fact that it didn't work and it couldn't work and they couldn't figure it out. So therefore, that she spent some money at a jewelry store, what does that have to do with her defrauding investors on that basis? So I think that that actually is a fair argument by the defense. And I think, again, I have to compliment Ms. Holmes' defense attorneys. They're hitting on every possible topic. And I, I think that they're doing an excellent job. They're fully advocating for their client. Again, doesn't mean I agree <laughs> that Ms. Holmes is, is not guilty as they argue, but they're definitely doing their job and they're doing it well. Lance Wade, attorney for Elizabeth Holmes, opened by saying that what Elizabeth Holmes did was, quote, far more human and real and oftentimes, I hate to say it, technical and complicated and boring, end quote. Did he just insult the jury? I don't know if he insulted the jury, but if I was on the jury, which I'm not, I would be, I would find that statement obnoxious. And that was a dangerous move. That was really risky. Opening arguments are scripted. Closing arguments are scripted. These are things that judges approve what you say, and you can be sanctioned for saying things that the judge, for example, has told you not to say in an opening or a closing statement. That was a calculated move. That is one where I think they made the wrong choice. I think that telling a Northern California jury that they're not smart. I mean, he indirectly said, you're not smart enough to pay attention and follow along to what's going to happen here, what really happened. Oh, all these technical details. Oh, all these. We had a hundreds of patents. What is it? 176 patents that Theranos held. You're not going to want to understand that. And you're oh, I'm going to make it easy for you. She's just a human. She just, you know, she believed in this and it just didn't work out. Gosh, darn it. 
that's what I hear here. And I, I, I think that was maybe their, the first mistake that I think I maybe have heard from the defense. Why is it a better defense to claim that Elizabeth Holmes was abused by Sonny Balwani than to claim that she was abused in from childhood by her parents to feel the need to be perfect with a pathological fear of failure? It has to do with the immediacy and the availability of the boogeyman Balwani, because that's what they're doing here is they're making Balwani out to be the bad guy. He's a real human being. He's alive. He's there. Uh, I mean, he's not physically there in the courtroom at this point, but it is something that is tangible, immediate, and close. Whereas blaming childhood, that's a big risk when you have nothing else to rely on. People who knew her said that often when she was asked questions about science or business, she would fall back on her family background, where there was a scientist, at least one scientist and an entrepreneur. I know that it's not admissible in court, but what if it were admissible that her dad worked for Enron? Well, it's not admissible, and there's a very good reason why it's not admissible. That is something, like we were talking about in episode eight, probative value versus prejudice. The jury, in a manner that is not relevant to the question at hand, now has a much more negative view of the defendant. So bringing up Enron would be an unbelievably powerful tool to turn the jury against her. Oh, your dad was one of the Enron people? Tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands of lives destroyed by the malfeasance of the people at the top of that company, especially here in California. If you're old enough to remember, we had rolling blackouts because of Enron. That would be awesomely powerful, and that's exactly why it's not allowed. Elizabeth Holmes walks or even just gets a light slap on the wrist, Sonny Balwani will be unofficially convicted of domestic abuse, in a sense. It will show her claims to be valid. So he's got a trial coming up in January. There's a good chance that potential jurors could see this information, will see this information, whether they seek it out or not. Can he sue her for defamation? Defamation is one of my absolute favorite topics in law. One of the exceptions to defamation is privileged communication. Privileged communication means things like litigation privilege. Another one is legislative privilege. That's why politicians on the floor of the House of Representatives can lie. Same thing with litigation. Our system is set up that we encourage people to fully and vigorously pursue their rights and claims against others for violating them in one form or another, be it a contract or in this case committing allegedly fraud and conspiracy to commit fraud. Litigation is what is called privileged. Anything that is said in a court document or in court is not subject to defamation. 
Can he or would he bring it up in his own trial for any reason? He will use everything possible from this trial of Elizabeth Holmes in his own trial when it's to his benefit. Thank you for listening to Law Junkie Show. We will continue to cover the Elizabeth Holmes trial. Follow us on social media at Law Junkie Show on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Subscribe on YouTube. Subscribe, rate, and review on Apple Podcasts. And if you have any suggestions for the show or any questions or comments, contact us at info at lawjunkieshow.com. Disclaimer, Law Junkie Show, including its guests and hosts, are not giving out legal advice, but discussing general legal issues. Law Junkie Show does not guarantee that the legal issues discussed are fully accurate, and it's not specific to whatever legal issues you may be experiencing. None of this advice is to be acted upon in your situation. Please seek legal advice from a licensed attorney in your jurisdiction for your individual legal matter.